WWE Super Showdown 2019. I'm Glenn Rubenstein. This is the Wrestling Inc. Podcast. Joined today by Michael Wiseman to cover what went down in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia for the WWE Super Showdown. Michael, how's it going, man? Uh, you, you're not allowed to say Saudi Arabia. I, I think you're prohibited from saying Saudi Arabia. You can say Jeddah, um, and you can say the WWE Universe, right? But Saudi Arabia is off. It's banned like the term wrestling. Um, Michael <laughs> like Cole term, said it uh, three times today, said Saudi Arabia. Oh, did he? I heard him at one point he was talking about the group and he didn't want to say that. He So he said the WWE Universe here and he kind of fumbled through his words for a minute. But I did not hear him say Saudi Arabia. That's crazy. And I believe uh, he referred to the revival as wrestlers. Ooh. So, you know, wow. there you go. It does feel like, though, that these the announced team does get away with a little bit more as far as they tell more backstory. Uh, they give more of the background, more history in these kinds of events, I think, than they seem to during a normal WWE broadcast. Or is it just me? Uh, maybe. I think part of it is that they're trying to put it over for people that are watching this, uh, perhaps in Saudi Arabia, although they have local commentary. So maybe that's not the reason why. You know what There's I mean? People who this is their first ever WWE show. If your first time tuning in is to watch Super Showdown in Jeddah. <laughs> yeah, but you'd be getting the Saudi commentary if you're Saudi Arabian, right? And isn't uh, it airing um, on their sports television there locally? Yeah, I think so. I, I do believe so. So I'll tell you, it's a shame that the rumors were so prominent about this because I think the headline based on what a lot of people wanted to see, is that the first women's match in Saudi Arabia did not happen. Alexa Bliss and Natalia were traveling over there with uh, the rest of the male superstars who made the trip to Jeddah. And there were rumors that were confirmed by multiple sources that they were trying to get approval from the Saudi government, the sports authority there, to have the first ever women's match in Saudi Arabia. Um, that apparently did not end up getting approved, did not end up happening. But Alexa and Natalia did make uh, trips to the children's hospitals. Um, they did some PR while there, but they were not ultimately allowed to wrestle. Now, do you think that it was a mistake them letting the word get out about this possibility at all, Michael, given that some people were tuning in today thinking, hey, maybe some history, some progress will be made in this somewhat restrictive market? I, I don't think it's a mistake that word got out about these two traveling over there and them trying to get this match on the card. You know, at the very end of the day, they are trying to get goodwill around this event, right? That's why they don't mention Saudi Arabia and they downplay, you know, they did this video package halfway through that was in the arena, still focusing on the Saudi fans or the Jeddah fans, excuse me, but they did not do anything outside of the arena. So I think with word getting out, fans are like, well, look, WWE's trying. They're giving it their best shot. They're they're trying to change cultural norms over there by taking the women over. But I, I don't know that I would still give WWE that much credit considering they're running this show in blood money. But to your question, though. Jesus. Yeah. Well, you're just saying. By, you know. by the way, blood money would have been a great name for a pay-per-view <laughs> back 20 years ago. Like NWO presents blood money, the WCW pay-per-view. Isn't that the name of like a 50 cent album, right? Like didn't he oh, do sure. a, the, a video game? Or, but, but either way, yeah. No, I, I think it's okay that word got out. But again, I think fans are like, well, look, they're trying. And again, I don't think WWE is trying as hard as we're giving them credit for. But anyway. Yeah. Hey, it is what it is. I mean, uh, they actually got a lot of props. People are in chat room are also mentioning the promos they did for the 24 seven title, shooting that content on the airplane, on the tarmac, having it switch hands from our truth to Jinder Mahal and back. People really liked that. So sure. I think, uh, you know, there is, it's not all bad. Yes. Look, uh, the, the politics of this, um, culturally, uh, I get it. You know, I certainly have been a critic of it today. I think if you're watching this, recap here on wrestling inc and you watch the pay-per-view uh regardless of whether you have issues with it or not they were not so bad they prevented you from tuning in and watching this live on the wwe network so i would all, say this is actually their best show from jet jetta again i i think you know i want to give them hell for the blood money piece but all that aside yeah i'm gonna keep saying it right whatever but but all that aside though for real though i think it was the best show that they've delivered from saudi arabia uh, comprehensively some good matches on the card so not all bad to your point yeah, I, it was watchable. It was, you know, and I think that they did even responding to their critics. I think they tried to shield themselves more from this. So let's talk about one of the big headlines coming out of this, that this was not the Saudi royal family that was sitting in those front rows. This was not the heads of state and VIPs that had the ringside seats. They gave those to the fans this time. I think that made a world of difference because even if you have issues with the Saudi Arabian government, um, even if you have issues with the politics of this, 
and some of their actions. I think that you cannot begrudge the Saudi people and the Saudi wrestling fans who what an opportunity they had to witness this men, women, and children live and in person right there ringside attendance did not look great in the wide shots, but I love that they had the true Saudi fans there ringside to enjoy this action. It, it makes it feel a little bit more like a, an actual stateside WWE event because those fans are wearing the gear. They're cheering for their guys. You saw some signs in the background. So I think that was the right call from Saudi Arabia and the Saudi government to let actual fans be at ringside. Uh, it was distracting. I think during the greatest Royal rumble last year, because it did feel so different and so odd. Yes. And, and, it did think uh, the audience looked a little bit sparse from wide angles, but the WWE production crew did a great job of covering that up by focusing in the camera shots in just quite the right way. So uh, I, these shows feel weird. I was actually texting with Nick Hosman uh, during the show, and he was like, yeah, don't these shows always feel so weird? They absolutely do. But having those fans at ringside makes it feel a little less out of place, I think. Yeah, I think that it definitely made it feel more organic, yeah. less of a, uh, you know, I don't want to use the term. I mean, people did say this about the last ones. It felt more like propaganda pieces. I think in this case, uh, for better or worse, they played off of the the genuine Saudi love of professional wrestling and WWE. And it's hard to fault that. It's hard to fault that. I mean, you look at those kids there, they're getting to see the show, getting to have this experience and, you know, good for them. I thought that that was one of the better parts of this, um, even having them talk about how special this was being able to attend this. So I think certainly nobody faults that. And if you look at the people, I mean, it really does sort of drive home a point, right? Is when you look at the larger global issues and what governments do and the US government too, you know, governments behave in manners that its citizens don't always agree with. You look at the actual people, the actual citizens, the citizens of the world, and, and our love of professional wrestling, that transcends all cultures, all languages, all barriers. And that is something I think if we can look for, you know, some silver lining or some sort of nugget of truth and hope in all of this, we could say that, okay, well, the people got to have this experience. And certainly we don't begrudge them for their opportunity to express their love for, uh, for sports entertainment live and in person. Absolutely. And, and the, like I said, the video package they did partway through the show highlighting those fans in particular definitely felt a lot better than what WWE did last year by showing the whole city and, and whatnot. So, you know, they focused on those fans. You're right. Uh, WWE is a private business, private company. You know, they can essentially make their money the way they want to within the parameters of the law. So <laughs> as, mu as much as we want to chide them and say they shouldn't do this, WWE has no obligation uh, to kind of do business the way people think that they should on the outside so um again nothing necessarily wrong with all of that uh, depending on how you feel about other things yeah and you know let's point out many people have taken a stand against us in their own ways i mean matt morgan is not here today he's not supporting this pay-per-view raj Geary is just on vacation uh myself and others who have issues we still watch it as journalists and so we can comment on the situation but regardless of your stance if you're watching this coverage i'm going to assume that you watched the uh wwe super showdown pay-per-view network event here today uh starting with the pre-show lots of action going on and just real quick at people yeah. in the chat room i want to clarify let me public company right they are not a private company technically they are a public company but they are a public company majority owned by the the mcmahon family so you guys are exactly right publicly traded majority owned mcmahon family so um still get to do what what vince mcmahon wants at the end of the day <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and look, read one of the excellent think pieces um, that's been written by dozens of journalists criticizing this relationship. I don't think we need to rehash all of that when talking about the show here. Um, valid points, valid critiques, but hey, you know, we're, we're talking about the wrestling today. So we started with a lot of action going on in Stamford, Connecticut in this pre-show with David Otunga, Charlie Caruso. Um, they were really setting this up today, running down the matches. We had commentary at ringside uh we had renee there with michael cole and Corey graves talking about the heat okay so that was interesting that i think this is the first wwe pay-per-view i've ever seen where they kept talking about the temperature and had an on-screen graphic saying that it feels like down there over 100 degrees crazy right yeah this is a thing where they've been doing these stadium shows for a while and there's always kind of that threat of rain at wrestlemania but I don't remember them ever having an issue with they've done shows in Orlando, right? In the middle of, of April and never had an issue with the heat before. And that's a that's a really tough thing to wrestle in. I mean, these these talents are going out there ringside. The, the announce teams out there. 100 degrees is no joke, y'all, especially not doing a physical activity. So that, that was interesting. Yeah. Well, they don't really run a lot of outdoor shows. Yeah. I mean, mania and even that 
sometimes is in a domed stadium. Um, they did the Royal Rumble this year in Arizona in a baseball field. But yeah, so I think outdoors, are, pardon me, are uh, definitely different. I think that uh, usually the inside the air conditioning certainly creates an easier environment to wrestle. And so yes, first off, credit to the performers who not only endured this incredibly long plane ride to Jeddah, but then also wrestled in this just unfathomable heat there in the middle of the desert. Um, the first match that we got was the Usos versus the Revival. And here it was interesting. Do you credit this to the um, the storyline and the way the Revival were received? I haven't seen the Revival get outright booed since they were heels in NXT. They did that surprise attack on Enzo and Cass and took out Cass's knee, put him out of action for a while. They were getting the thumbs down, the boos. Do you credit this? Uh, perhaps culturally, to all of these uh, promos they've been doing with the Usos playing jokes on them and making the revise, Revival look a little, um, uh, I don't know how to say this, like less masculine. Sure. I, I think it's a combination of that and the way that this audience in particular perceives the product, right? Mm. So th this audience definitely plays a lot nicer along those kind of lines that Vince McMahon and the creative team dictate. You know, here in, here in America, we like to be contrarians. We think we're smarter and we're going to, you know, tell you what we really think about the revival and how much we actually love them. And uh, we're pissed off that you're misusing them. So we're more likely to cheer them when we're not supposed to. And it did feel like in this instance, for example, like you pointed out, but also in other instances about the show, they were, they would boo and cheer like you would expect somebody who had scripted this to be good guys versus bad guys would do. So I, I think this audience just plays into and leans into what WWE wants us to think about these characters. No, that's fair. I thought this was a really good match. I thought the Usos looked really like superstars. In fact, the Usos got much more of a pop here than they usually get in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it was a good match. Um, Usos look good. Of course, these two teams, listen, you give me this matchup with a more serious wrestling storyline, I'm there for it, right? It's just, we get lost on all the comedic Monday Night Raw shenanigans. But Noah, I thought this was a really good opening contest. It was long enough to be interesting, but not too long. So kind of got us hyped for the show. Yeah, man, uh, I'd like to see these guys battling over a championship. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, and the Usos won this with double super kicks. Um, on Dash, who got dropped in the middle of the ring. The Usos got the pin for the win. First official match of the card was Baron Corbin versus Seth Rollins for the WWE Universal Championship. Now, do you think this foretold the the finish on this that Brock was not sticking around if he was going to lose? I didn't I didn't actually think that. So, my original prediction was Brock Lesnar was actually going to cash in on Kofi as kind of a WWE swerve, right? It's you know, why else would they put this match on first again? This card had a weird pacing. So Universal Championship match, arguably your bigger of the two championships going on to open the contest. But I'm sure Brock Lesnar was out of there after his failed cash-in attempt um, 20 minutes into the show. It's got to yeah. be. Yeah, he didn't fly in with everyone else. He flew yeah. in on his own private jet. Yeah, must be nice. Must be. Um, I mean, if he was a 24-7 champion, nobody hey. could have pinned him, right? <laughs> you know, I was thinking that tonight. Is There's a lot of guys I would like to see involved in the 24-7 title, but it's very clear where they see it as, you know, the lowest of the low, uh, the absolute undercard pinnacle yeah. based on the guys competing with it. It's a comedy title used for YouTube to get a few more, and it's working, get a few more clicks on the old intranets and shares on social media, right? Uh, I, I was disappointed by that, though. I know we're not to the match yet, but, uh, you know, why did why did R-Truth go and fly over to Saudi Arabia if he wasn't going to be in any of the matches? Anybody, anybody yeah. know? Hey, just got to get that content, man. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that uh, this match with Corbin and Rollins was pretty good. I liked Corbin's extended arguing with the ref spot and that being the distraction that got him the roll up from Rollins to detain, uh, retain. Yeah, this was a, a case again. I've been down on Baron Corbin, but he delivered in this match. Him and Seth Rollins put together. That was something that was good, unspectacular, but I think it was good, solid. Um, Baron Corbin really is working that heel angle. I think Baron Corbin is slowly starting to kind of finally crest the go away booze and become more of the people are accept accepting him as being a legitimate heel, which is good Baron for him. Corbin is a fantastic heel. He just needs a storyline. And that's yeah. why when he was the constable and he was the acting GM, it was perfect. Yeah, but there, it wasn't Baron Corbin that was at fault though. All the stuff around that storyline made it a drag to watch. I think Baron Corbin got caught up 
as far as the fan reaction to him, he got caught up in all of that in a negative way and kind of got blamed for mm. that. But I think Corbin himself, he is effective at what he does, right? It's not a diss against Corbin, just to your point. Better storylines, and, and again, things like this that showcase him being a heel and what he can do in the ring definitely play to his favor. So I thought it was very interesting that Brock came out with Paul Heyman after this match ended. Uh, Seth looked a little worse for wear. Uh, Brock came out with a chair. He's coming out to beat Seth down, cashing that money in the bank briefcase. And then Seth got the better of him. And have you ever seen Brock Lesnar get the shit kicked out of him the way Seth Rollins did tonight in that ring? I mean, he just got pummeled with that chair, dude. You never see Brock look this week. Paul Heyman looked like kind of an idiot getting into the ring and fumbling around with the briefcase. Really different dynamic than what we saw on Monday night where Brock Lesnar looked like a, an unstoppable force, right? He was beating the crap out of Seth Rollins. So, yeah, curious decision. But also Brock looks like an idiot because he could have cashed in Monday night and won easily and instead almost a guaranteed win on Monday night. And he waited until Friday because he likes Rebecca Black's song. I really don't know what it is. Perhaps. But, but he waited till Friday. And to a non-guaranteed thing, and this is what the result was, which was him getting the crap beat out of him with the chair. So curious yeah, let me, there. Let me sidebar on this a second. You know, Rebecca Black on Cameo charges $55 to do a Cameo. I swear to God, if it was $25 or $30, I was going to have her record a good luck to Brock Lesnar on Friday. You know, maybe I have her sing a little bit. It would have been fantastic. <laughs> but $55, too rich for me to make a joke on social media. $55. So so could we get her to do like a little bumper here for Wrestling Inc? For, for 55 bucks, you absolutely could. Awesome. Yeah. Um, no, I think with Brock, this is he's not cashing in until they debut on Fox. That's my prediction. Do you think the night they go live, that, that yeah. very first night gets some some hype? Yeah. Why why do it sooner? Why do it at stomping grounds with its terrible logo that was clearly made by somebody who has a, a certificate in graphic design? <laughs> Wow, you there? There's your uh, ire. You're you're saving all of that Saudi ire for this graphic designer in WWE. Did you see the Stomping Grounds logo? I, <laughs> I wish did. we could show it here. So it looks like a foot, like a shoe, <laughs> and it's got the word Stomping Grounds in it. And it just reminds me where it's like somebody took a course in graphic design and is really, really happy with themselves. They outsource all of their graphic work in WWE to the interns, all their T-shirt designs to these these interns who are just there for the summer, right? Turn out a whole bunch of them. So, uh, no, it's I, I think you're right. Brock is going to wait to cash in. I still thought he might would cash in against Kofi. We know that didn't happen. I think Kofi and Brock could be a really interesting match if they Absolutely. let it happen. But to do this, to have him look stupid on Monday, have him look weak. After, again, they flew him to Saudi Arabia. Okay, so look, I'm going to say this to all the critics. If you didn't watch the show, enjoy the fact that they flew Brock Lesnar and paid him more money than you're going to make in the next 10 years to go here and just get his ass kicked and curb stomped on that money in the bank briefcase in Saudi Arabia. I, I would say six months ago, that would be a dream scenario for most WWE fans who are so pissed off at Brock Lesnar holding the universal title hostage. It's it's not only Brock Lesnar. It's, you know, how much did they pay Goldberg and Undertaker? Now, Goldberg and Undertaker wrestled, right? But they wrestled for an eight-minute match. And I mean, if you, if, take, you, if you call it that. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we'll get to that later, right? But you take those two guys, plus Brock Lesnar, probably, I would assume, the three highest paid guys on the card tonight. And they probably made a total of 15, I don't know, 10 million, right? Mm -hmm. It would surprise me if it was that high. What did they get paid for these? I forget the number. It's somewhere between 30 or $50 million. Yeah. But more profitable than a mania. I'll say this. I didn't like the Battle Royal because I liked when they did the Royal Rumble. They had more of those spots. They had more of those surprises. Yeah. We didn't have that tonight where they paid people like Hornswoggle, you know, a <laughs> boatload of money to come over and do one bit. Or Chris Jericho. Jericho. Yeah. 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 You know, and that wouldn't have surprised me if it had been a uh, Royal Rumble tonight. Who knows what would have happened? Would would John Moxley have perhaps gotten a seven figure check just to come over there? No promos, no scripting. Just walk out to the ring. I, I seriously doubt that Tony Khan and his AEW contract would have allowed right. him to make at least one uh, one Saudi Arabia appearance at that. Right. Yeah. Moxley would just say, hey, I'm just doing a one off overseas date. Don't you worry about it. Enough. People assume it's New Japan egg yeah. in all their faces. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, Brock Lesnar, you know, it's very weird. Again, a, a month ago, I never would even fathom saying this. Brock Lesnar, fast becoming uh, one of my favorite things in the WWE, just because they're really stretching and fleshing out his character. 
part of it's making him look weaker, not like the dominant force. It's funny how you actually get invested with some with someone if it's not a foregone conclusion that they're going to win all the time. I guess I just I'm curious what do you do with him next, especially if he's going to hold on to the briefcase until SummerSlam. And I know you're not going to pay for him to be on TV every single week. Like, what is his next storyline? Does he actually have a feud with somebody at some point during the summer? So that could be interesting. We'll see. Um, I, I but yeah, not Universal Champion tonight. Not cashing in tonight. And Seth Rollins, Baron Corbin, decent match out there. Right? You know, I say let's put him in a six week feud, the culminating in a dance off with No Way Jose. <laughs> the boom boom box Brock. No way. Jose. Absolutely, well, at least they'll give man. no way. Jose something to do, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, intercontinental title match Andrade versus the demon Finn Balor. And all I kept thinking was we heard last time how, uh, they really wanted Yokozuna. So they just got a sumo wrestler from Japan <laughs> and brought him out. And I was thinking maybe they meant the demon from WCW from that kiss angle back in the, Oh my 90s. God. Oh, uh, yeah. They sure. They were very excited about the demon appearing and no, we got Finn in all his made up glory. Uh, this was kind of a short match. I mean, not like squash, but I think that these guys have more left in them, um, than what we saw tonight with Finn hitting the coup de gras for the pin to retain the title. I thought this was good, but not the great match. I know these two guys are capable of putting on. Yeah, almost like they were holding back a little bit. I would call it call this a you know maybe a house show caliber match where they do something good and yeah. leave some out there for the big show, whatever that might be. I'd like to see more. I, they hyped up how this is the Working Man's Championship. I think it's playing to Finn Balor's favor right now. Um, I think Andrade would be a great. You know, he he has a lot of potential if he were to win this from Finn Balor. So I hope they dig into this feud a little bit more. I, they both look good. Again, a good match, if not spectacular, just shy of being a really great match. I agree with that. Um, Shane McMahon versus Roman Reigns, proving that even in Saudi Arabia, the fans will chant CM Punk at Shane McMahon. <laughs> oh, I mean, he deserves it, right? CM Punk was the best in the world. Shane McMahon is the best in the world, and he proved it tonight by getting a victory over a guy who's not been defeated in singles competition in months. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy to me. Well, why Drew McIntyre did have something to do with that. Uh, so, yeah, so we, we can get to that, right? So the, the finish, of course, here with with McIntyre hitting the Claymore and, and knocking Roman out uh, while the referee was distracted. But my, my, my question here is, why do they give a match like this, Glenn, so much time? Why do they let Shane McMahon get so much offense in, especially in a guy like Roman Reigns, who they've done a really good job over the years of protecting and making him look like a formidable opponent to somebody like Brock Lesnar. Why does Shane McMahon come in there and chin lock the hell out of him for 15 minutes and look strong in victory? <laughs> to a I don't experiment. know. I don't know. Shane McMahon is an A plus supporting player. Yep. But when you put him as a pay-per-view attraction, I don't think he measures up beyond jumping off things. And even then that works better as a face. It has never worked as a heel. Even when he was in that program with AJ Styles, AJ came across like the asshole and all of that. Shane McMahon is incredibly likable as a face. Uh, but yeah, I just, I just don't get it, man. I don't get where they're going with this to have him win over Roman again. Drew interfered with that Claymore kick. Um, that's what gave him the advantage to cover Reigns for the pin and the win. But I don't know. I don't know why they're building Shane. And in the expense of Roman, maybe they're thinking that this is just going to make it all the better at stomping grounds when Roman wins over a singles match with Drew and gets his comeuppance with Shane. I, I have to think that, you know, they've given Shane a lot of meaningful victories lately, though, which is why I think it's shocking. And I take Shane a lot more seriously against a guy like The Miz because size wise, sure. they pair up better, right? Or or they have hardcore matches or steel cage matches or whatever where it doesn't require wrestling finesse. But when Shane's in there giving punches and kicks and doing chin locks, I, I just don't buy into this sequence as much here. But maybe you're right, right? We're going to set this up to where I think this would have been much more effective had, and again, Reigns was the underdog for a big chunk of this match. He yeah. gets the finisher and Shane kicks out of it, right? So I, I wish they'd have just done less. And, and in a case where less would have been more here. Absolutely. And look, with the McMahons, I think that Vince and Stephanie are excellent villains. Shane just isn't. Maybe when he was younger, he came across as really cocky, but now he's just he's been so likable since his return. Although I did like in that recap Shane video they were showing what looked like his senior photos. Of him in the tux, like 
That's yeah. good. Yeah, you know, I like enough. that pulling the rich dick move. Uh, I think is always always That's good. Good shed right there. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, just I don't know, man. Like this, it's weird that they're taking aspects that have worked in the past and misusing them now because Roman, I, th- I think Ro- look, Roman is the top baby face in the company. Um, you know, I think he's finally over with the fans. I think it's weird, kind of strange, kind of sad that it took his health issues to help solidify his top baby face status. Um, and Shane has always been a good supporting player. I don't know why they're putting them in these roles in these positions. I don't think it's using them to their best potential. You had Drew McIntyre right there. One of the yeah. best wrestlers in your company who's being cr- incredibly underutilized. Why did you not just pull the trigger on that match and let it go to a fight outside the ring to a disqualification, save the finish for stomping grounds. You didn't have to put Shane out there to wrestle. There's no need for that here in 2019 to have him on. He's on every pay-per-view Glenn, every oh, single yeah. one he's wrestling. I, I bet you it's one of those things where Vince or someone in production doesn't like Drew's accent. hears him talk and thinks, so oh, great. We got to deal with the Braveheart guy, you know, cutting <laughs> these promos. Whereas uh, Shane can go out there and just be a dick and that's going to do more to get heat yeah uh you're probably right unfortunately you're probably right <laughs> yeah it's uh it, it is unfortunate um after that we got the three-on-one handicap match the loose house party versus lars sullivan some people said given the lars sullivan controversy is this the best optics uh that being said lucha house party got disqualified and then just kicked the shit out of lars <laughs> Well, it's interesting, you know, this was never going to be a great match. It was pretty short. Um, I don't know about the whole optics piece. I, I think this was probably the least cons- least likely concerned about optics of the entire evening. I mean, if we're going to do it somewhere, do it in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> right, 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 right. So um, it was what it was. I'm, I'm surprised, actually, they let Lucha House Party do as much as they did against Lars, a guy that it seems like they are trying to build up as kind of the next Braun Strowman, the next Brock Lesnar, the next, next whoever else, big beastly guy so that that was strange um yeah just a just a kind of a strange little segment on the show i felt like yeah uh lars did end up standing tall at the end of that though did uh but, get the uh did get his footing back doesn't he kind of hunch a little bit though does he really call it standing tall i think he... that's part of the freak thing i think that's <laughs> part of you know that's probably a vince note oh you got a hunch over hunch over it's like the hunchback of notre dame <laughs> you're <laughs> a monster yeah, you're the monster. <laughs> the, the thing, there was a line in there, and, and and I wrote this down because it was one of those things where I'm like, did that really? Did they just really go there? So, of course, Corey Graves all night throwing out all of his comparisons to pop culture, whatever else, and he says Lars Sullivan is like something Hannibal Lecter dreamed up in a laboratory. So, can we just clarify? Number one, I think you're confusing Hannibal Lecter with Doctor Frankenstein, right? Hannibal Lecter was not. A scientist, he was just a cannibal, right? Correct well, me if I'm mean, wrong. He dreamed him up in a laboratory so he could eat him. <laughs> okay. Well, and then Michael Cole follows that up with good point. <laughs> I don't know. Good point. So, so Lars got his footing back and ended up chasing these guys off. Uh, did give uh Metalik uh backdrop on the ramp, took out Callisto and Dorado. But yeah, it was funny that it ended a DQ and then Lucha House Party having uh the better of him for a while. I don't know, man. I this Lars experiment. It is what it is. Oh, experiment because it's something Hannibal Lecter dreamed up in a lab. I see where you're going with that. Yes. (sighs) You know, here's my problem with it, too. The other thing about it is you talk about from an optics perspective, you have Lucha House Party, three very talented wrestlers out there who are basically being used just as bait for a big guy. And I think it, it it's why. WWE can't be taken seriously sometimes with stuff like 205 Live and, and their investment into smaller guys because they waste them like this. Let these guys go out there and deliver a great match against one another, right? But when all you ever do is use these kind of guys as bait for somebody like Lars Sullivan and group them together, look, we got all the guys that wear masks who are luchadors together in the same faction. It, it just it shows a real lack of diversity in the way you view your characters. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I mean, but then again, I think uh, people would freak out more if there were other smaller guys in the roster they were putting in this position. I think, um, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know where to stand on it. I think Lucha House Party is a less serious gimmick. Sure. So, you know, this is like the equivalent of having someone of No Way Jose standing 
beat up, which is not to uh, disparage what these performers can do. But no, I think you're right. Um, I always liked it when they did it with Ryback, when they had the jobbers from local, local, you know, local wrestling 101 show up and, and Ryback would beat them because that always seemed like those are great squash matches to me, right? Mm-hmm. You're not putting anybody down your, your main roster, but anyway. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Lucha House Party is in an interesting, interesting position on the roster. Randy Orton versus Triple H. I think the surprising headline out of this is that Randy Orton won. You know, I I called it the other day on the on the Winkley. If you watched it earlier today, me and Nick, we um, I said I'm going with Randy Orton here. It makes a lot of sense. I think some people doubted this because they think that Randy Orton might be AEW bound after his contract is up at the end of the year. Maybe Uh, people think Triple H puts himself out there to put himself over all these talent. But I think when you look at these two guys. Randy Orton makes a lot of sense to get the win here because he's going to go on to be in some high-profile feuds over the next few months. They definitely still see him as a central piece in their main event puzzle. So I like the victory here. But God, Triple H, man, he loves putting himself into some 25-minute matches, doesn't he? <laughs> like hey, he's got entrance, the entrance and the match. <laughs> that entrance was toned down, and he just recycled some WrestleMania shit. <laughs> absolutely he's like well it's a wrestlemania equivalent why not do the exact same thing right but man that match itself though it just mm, a little too long yeah it was uh it was something and i think orton winning was definitely a surprise they traded some false finishes before that but he did ultimately catch him with an rko uh and triple h looked good i i gotta give him props he probably looks the best he's looked in the last uh, he looked good at wrestlemania but he, he looked good here too just as far as his physique his tone he wasn't as energetic as we've used to him 10 years ago right but i thought overall not a great match but it was serviceable for what they're trying to get across yeah and hey that kid orton's going places he needed the win <laughs> uh, this is a place too where i think the storytelling helped right it's what new japan does a lot where they give you the backstory. These guys fought 10 years ago. Michael Cole brought that up. Randy Orton really wants to, you know, he feels like he's not respected because he's three titles away from some of the big dogs as far as world championships. So I I, I like the small tweaks and storytelling. It adds a lot to the dynamic of a match like this. I agree with that. Um, and then after that, we saw the 24-7 title action happen. Changing hands on the plane, the tarmac. Jinder got it from Truth. Truth running back on the plane while uh, he was taking a nap. That did feel a little, little recycled from the Attitude Era and one of the hardcore title exchanges. Not a, not the plane part, but the napping part. Yeah. All wrestling is recycled, though, so I'll, I'll give them a pass on that piece because every story that's ever been told has, has been told many times before, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, Braun Strowman versus Bobby Lashley. So Braun won the Greatest Royal Rumble a year ago, and tonight he had this competition with Lashley. Uh, what do you make of where Bobby Lashley's career is at in the WWE right now? I I can't figure it out, dude. Like Bobby Lashley came back and people were so excited to see him back in the fold in WWE a year and a half ago or however long it was when he returned. Right? Like, yeah, like Bobby Lashley's back. We're going to see him in the main event. And it's, it's felt like since then they've used him in ways that have kept him just below the main event. And then even in those matches, he ends up losing to guys and never getting any momentum behind him. I don't know, you know, he had those weird promos and his feud against Sami Zayn last year, and there's just been some really odd things they've done with him, and and the loss here, again, is is boggling to me because this dude needs a win, and he's a legitimate competitor. Yeah, I think, you know, this is where I I know they're mad at Leo Rush, but I think that not having Leo there, Bobby, his personality is not coming through on his own. And that really hurts him in these matches. Strowman is a guy they tried to make him the top monster of the company. Now it probably helps that he legitimately has a baby face. He looks like a huge bearded baby, uh, <laughs> but he's just so likable. Strowman got over with the crowd with his personality um, and his his feats of strength. But I think that Bobby, for all his uh, muscularity, you know, for his physique, for his athletic prowess and being such a badass, I think just comes across a little bland by comparison. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. And and maybe that's why WWE hasn't really lit a fire underneath him and, and done something with him. He needs a mouthpiece. I think that's very obvious. But you could give him somebody and you can still use him because he's a great athlete. And I I don't, again, wasted talent on this roster sometimes boggles my mind, especially against a guy like Braun Strowman, who they were down on five months ago, too. So go figure. 
they didn't even follow up on the number one heat getting angle they could have had when he said that line to Dean Ambrose, like, Oh, don't worry. I'll keep it. I always say like, I'll, I'll take care of Renee when you're gone. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> why not? You know, actually, I mean, I've said this before, like, why not just have big vignettes of him backstage helping Renee with her bags, you know, making sure <laughs> she has directions to the next venue. Uh, but no, I think they could, they, they've not ever followed through on um, any opportunity to give him much of a character. And with Leo gone, it's been nothing. So this match had some good back and forth in it. These guys both look super strong, super athletic. Um, ultimately, Strowman scooped him with the power slam and the pin to win. But I don't know. This feud is just nothing. I mean, that arm wrestling segment was probably the most interesting thing these guys have done. And that's saying something because that wasn't all that interesting. Right. It's the classic big guy versus big guy, which they, they tend to just lean into. Look how strong and powerful both of these men are, which I think like, the arm wrestling thing, that was fine. You know, they did the backstage stuff like they like to do with Braun. That's fine. But I wish they would do more of like Braun Strowman is a beast and he's big. And Bobby Lashley, while not quite as big, brings legitimate fighting prowess to the table. We're going to put these two together, ultimate fighting championship style, right? And see who is the better fighter, big or technical. And they just don't like to do that. It's it's too complicated or, or something. I don't know. Well, that's not the business that I think Vince would say they're in. You know, it's not the business of uh, fighting prowess and competition in the ring. It's the business of storytelling. <laughs> well, they're they're not yeah. doing that business either. I don't think, so. Bobby. You got to go out there and say you're sick of these people. They smell. Yeah, that's right. That's it. They're ugly, right? You yeah. hate this out. Oh, good lord! Um, so Braun won that match. Then we got Dolph Ziggler versus Kofi Kingston for the WWE Championship. And, uh, okay. I want to hear your take on this match. You know, it's, it's interesting. So I, I noticed something by the point we got to this match, which is you had Kofi Kingston come out there and they played up how weakened he was and how he was kind of an underdog because he's been beat up in recent weeks. You had Seth Rollins playing that same card. Uh, you had somebody else, uh, may, I forget who it was. They kind of treat all of their baby faces as guys are like, man, they're so weak because they've been beat up in recent weeks. And I don't like that. Uh, but the other thing that was interesting to me was the match was, you know, Dolph Ziggler can go. Kofi Kingston can go again. A good match. I don't think there's anything bad about it. I don't think it was great as I would have expected. But why in the world would you take one of the nicest, most honest, like the, the truest baby face you got in Kofi Kingston, your world champion, and use this match and end it on a screwball finish like that where Xavier Woods has to interfere to help him out to win? especially whenever your other babyface champion earlier in the night also kind of won a little bit on a fluke. And I, I don't know why they told that story there and didn't just give Kofi a clean victory and maybe Dolph's leg was under the rope or something like that, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It like, this weird. is a strange, like, why would you, why would you, number one, treat Kofi like that? Why would you make Kofi look kind of like he had to have outside interference to win when that's not what a true blue babyface needs? But also... Why would you have both of your championship matches in on a fluke on the same card, right? Like, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, very odd, very strange. And um, let's see. So this match was what it was. Kofi got the win. Now Ziggler was distracted by Xavier Woods. Kofi hit him with trouble in paradise, got the pin to win and retain the title. And afterwards, it was interesting. They went backstage. I thought Ziggler was cutting a promo originally on Xavier and thought, great. Now Kofi's going to go back to KO. Maybe we get a good mid card feud with, um, with uh, Ziggler and Xavier while Kofi's dealing with KO, but Oh no, Ziggler wants Kofi in a steel cage one-on-one -on -one match. Um, I guess that's happening at stomping grounds. This, this feud continues. Well, I like the feud and it's one of the things that I have talked a lot about in, in recent weeks where we can criticize WWE storytelling all we want to, but this feud does make sense. And while it's been given too much TV time on certain Monday night Raws and the segments have gone too long, at least there's some passion and some fire and these guys have a history. So there's a lot of things I do like about Kofi Kingston and Dolph Ziggler. Uh, you know, tonight this match was what it was. Um, a steel cage match seems strange to me for these two, but it, I'm sure it'll be good. I'd love to see these guys tear on the house on a ladder match, like a classic style ladder match. I think they could really deliver something special or, or even some kind of like, you know, they're both super athletic. Give them an Iron Man match. I don't like the cage match stipulation quite as much, but I, I, I wonder though, 
if they've changed plans because, uh, you know, Kevin Owens doesn't want to go to Saudi Arabia and maybe they're just pulling back on him a little bit. It's kind of a little bit of a, well, we got you under contract. You're not going anywhere, but we're going to punish you because you're not playing nice and playing ball with us. Yeah, I don't know. It's very, very strange. Uh, 50-man battle royal. This was a sight to see as opposed to the greatest Royal Rumble and having each guy enter separately. We just had uh, two busloads of guys walk out to the ring <laughs> and then a handful like the Miz and Elias, uh, Samojo get separate entrances on their own. I thought it was kind of hard to follow the action with so much going on here. Yeah, a lot of white noise here, man. Like, who do I follow? What do I do? Everybody's kind of, you see people getting tossed over. The announcers got a bless on. They tried to draw some attention to certain things, but them and the camera work, keeping up with all that was too much. It's nothing. Does, does this feel special? Does this feel unique? I, I get you get everybody out there, but it does nothing for almost anybody. And wowee, that finish. Huh. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Mansoor Al-Shahal, one now he was one of the tryouts correct at last year's greatest royal rumble who did yep. that segment yep he was the breakout star of that his time on the mic uh, i think was very very good he's been working in nxt now he was born in saudi arabia lived in america most of his life uh he's wrestled on the indies before so this guy's got experience he's got skills on the mic he's been doing great work in nxt from people uh that have heard from that have seen him at their local events and shows and seen him on the indies this was a feel-good moment for the Saudi crowd, someone that is is viewed as a local, a hometown hero, if you will, uh, given that he was born in Saudi Arabia. Him getting that win and cutting that promo after, I thought was a great feel-good moment for the local crowd. I agree with that, right? So so no issues there. Uh, I, I think it's strange that if you knew you were going to do this, you didn't at least have him show up on Monday Night Raw, on SmackDown, or even NXT TV. I don't even think he's been on NXT TV that much. I don't much, think right? so. And, and you don't have him show up in any of those places and hype him being in the match and how, you know, have all the guys cut little promos, have him be one of them and say, hey guys, coming out there Friday, Super Showdown, and I'm going to represent my hometown of Jeddah and I'm going to win the championship to represent my people. And something like that and build him up that way when he does get the victory i mean it meant something to that crowd you're right and it was a special moment for them but for everybody else they've advertised this pay-per-view to me you people on the internet we're having to do google searches to be like what who is this dude and why is he winning and i think that shows wwe did not pay enough attention to the details of their storytelling and i think it hurt the finish here for a more casual fan right like even for fans who are like us we do our research it just meant nothing to me and then they said the whole thing about he won the most prestigious battle royal of all time. When they have the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal every year at WrestleMania. And I don't know, I don't know, Glenn. It just it really rubbed me the wrong way when they said that because I was like, there's your blood money right there paying off by saying this is the most prestigious of all time. But that's the whole thing to even say this is a WrestleMania equivalent. Now, part of that is sales. Part of that is how Vince is selling it to the Saudi government because they're saying, oh, we want a big show. Yes, sure. well, we're going to give you a big show. In fact, we're going to give you a WrestleMania equivalent. In fact, we're going to give you something that might be even bigger than WrestleMania. This is partially what they do and what they say to to sell the people that are paying them to do this show, that are paying to put it on and make it happen. I really don't have a problem with this. I think, um, you know, it didn't make sense to use any of the more known WWE talent as that feel-good moment. I think Braun winning the Greatest Royal Rumble uh, definitely had that sort of big man spectacle. I think Shane winning the Best in the World tournament last time was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> and if I were part of the Saudi government that paid for this, I would have been pissed off at that. Sure. Um, so I think Mansoor, uh, given that he did make such a strong impression on the WWE universe, on social media, uh, uh, Etc. With his short appearance in that uh, kind of otherwise cringy segment um, last last year that happened. Oh, who was it with? Um, why am I blanking on this? From Two Hundred Five Live and uh, friend of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. You're brother. talking about you're talking about um, Sean and Ari uh, Davari, right? Yeah, Davari. Yep. So that was kind of a cringy segment. I know they got in trouble there for uh, waving another country's flag, but Mansoor did come across as a star and a natural baby face for this audience. I really don't have a problem with him winning this. I think, um, I mean, anything else, right? Like what else would have, would you feel good about? Maybe if Ali would have won, that would have been cool, you know, but I, I think that this made a whole hell of a lot of sense given who this show was really for. 
And let me clarify, I, I really don't have an issue with Monsoor himself winning it, right? So that's not the, the big deal to me. The big deal to me is I wish they would have done more beforehand mm. to make him more – because I think this moment had a huge impact there. And I, I think, man, this moment could have had a huge impact across all of its television if you had hyped him up, not even make a big deal about it, but just like, oh, remember me from last year? I'm in it this year. And then next week in NXT or two weeks from now in NXT, he's kind of working his way up the card. Right. And so this match then means something as opposed to what's probably going to happen, which is he has this win and then we don't see him on TV for six months. So, again, this victory doesn't mean as much beyond kind of this this one moment here in, in Saudi Arabia. The only thing I really had a big issue, though, with was calling this the most prestigious battle royal of all time. Again, I know it's all marketing hype, but it's a battle royal, dude. When your mind, what's the most prestigious battle royal of all time? I, I'm just telling you, you have one named after Andre the Giant, right? A legend in the sport. And you're going to say this one from Jeddah is the most prestigious of all time. And it was well, yeah. Andre was a humble man and he wouldn't want to, you know, put himself over that much. <laughs> you're right. You're off, oh, man. This was, this truly was the most prestigious battle royal. Most of all time. prestigious. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the main event Goldberg versus the undertaker, a match 20 plus years in the making. Woo. 20 years in the making. And um, we waited 20 years for that. So <laughs> it was what it was, man. So Goldberg bled all over the place. Uh, he looked like, do you think he bladed ahead of time and then just busted that open even further during the match? What I, what I heard and what it seemed like people were saying is that he went to headbutt the door on his way out of his locker room. And when he did that, he had it. Cause you could see the little Nick on his head when he was walking back with security and so um, I'm assuming he just he nicked it when he went to headbutt the door open. And after that, it just was easy to make him bleed in the ring. Hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something, man. This match. That match. <laughs> Dude, I like that jackhammer that uh, there were just a lot of moments of this where it was like, like, and you know what? Actually, you know what's weird about it is I was thinking early on, I was like, oh, Taker actually looks better than a lot of these late era Taker matches that we've seen as of late. But I think he looked better because Goldberg just somehow looked worse. Well, there was a spot with, there was a couple of just weird bad spots. And, and these guys are both, you know, they're not as quick as they used to be and all that jazz, right? Take all that out of the equation. Taker went for that tombstone. And number one, he about fell forward with Goldberg, to which I audibly said, oh, my God, when I was watching the match, right? He about fell forward, and then he kind of readjusted, and he, when he went down, he held Goldberg up high enough, but he still leaned forward a little bit, and, and Goldberg, the back of his head, you could see him hit the mat, and that's a dangerous spot to be in, right? The tombstone, listen, I know why they don't use pile drivers anymore. They're very dangerous moves. I don't know why you're letting Undertaker, a guy who he's not frail, but when it comes to wrestling, he's not in the condition to hold somebody up. If you were to see Taker on the street, I'm sure he's fine, right? But in a wrestling match, would you he see can a lift guy? a car? He can lift a car to save a baby, <laughs> right? 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 If yes. he had to, that's the that's the qualification. But in a wrestling match and against a guy like Goldberg, why would you let that happen? Um, the announce team pointed this out. Goldberg's bleeding all over the place. It's a hundred degrees, right? And they said, you know, Goldberg, I forgot. They didn't say a man of his age, but it almost sounded like they're making fun of him for being old, right? They're like a guy like that. He needs his fluid. So bleeding is bad. But yeah, between the tombstone and the, the jackhammer, I don't know if that was Goldberg's fault or take your no, Goldberg get... straight up looked like he dropped him on his head during that yeah. jackhammer. Like that was bad. Yeah, man. It was just. It's dangerous. It, it It's not entertaining, I don't think. You, you do the entrances, and you do some kind of quick finish with big power moves to get it over with, you know, in five minutes or less. Yeah, that was not... I, I have issues with that match. I think it's time that we, we stop doing this. There's got to be an end date on some of these guys, or they've got to adjust their style, or they've, they've got to do something to make this... Um, more entertaining and less like the the lower points of Mickey Rourke and the wrestler. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like yeah. I don't want to come face to face with the realities of aging and have to think about my own mortality when watching these guys in the ring. Well, they, they did a much better job of protecting Goldberg last time when he was wrestling against Brock Lesnar and against Roman Ryan, yeah. Kevin Owens. And it, like they Those gave him quickly decent matches for Goldberg, Do you remember, like his match against Brock Lesnar at mania was so much fun because it was just big move, big move big over, right? Like it just felt like a transformers battle or Godzilla versus Mothra, right? Like it just felt like a big, like this was way too long. Why, why did you do this? Cause it works. If you have one guy that can, that can carry the weight, if you will. Although 
go back to Roman versus Taker or Mania. That was tough. There were some tough spots to watch Taker try and power through that clearly he's not in the shape to be able to do anymore. And they did the best they could with it, but it was better than what we saw tonight. Yeah. Granted, that was two years ago and with him working with a much younger performer. So, so the finish here, I think is also very interesting. Like, I don't, I don't think we can take too much from it because these two guys are not regular competitors, but as much as they protected Goldberg in his last run with the company and as much as it took to put him down, what do you make of the finish here? Uh, I mean, what, what, what specifically? Just the, the, the fact the, the, the victory here, right? The, no, it see, felt rushed. It felt like yeah. Taker just decided it was over. Yeah. And just went down. Yeah, just pinned him and yeah. choke slam pin done. Yeah. Goldberg, you're getting your million dollar check. Right. I'm just saying the fact that Goldberg lost again to me is I thought Goldberg they, would win, right? They have nothing invested in him. Vince has nothing invested in him. Um, look, we haven't seen him for two years. Yeah. And they brought him back for this because there was a massive payday. They needed a big name to headline it to satisfy uh their their benefactors and the Saudis that paid for this show. Like Vince cares about the undertaker has a lot invested in the undertaker a lot of sentimental attachment to the undertaker feels responsible for it goldberg that's bischoff's creation vince doesn't care how goldberg looks at the end of this um he got what he needed out of the the scenario and i thought it was interesting was it cool on commentary you said with undertaker said who knows how many more times we're gonna see this yeah <laughs> where it was like oh so this wasn't the last match but at least commentary is acknowledging that there's not going to be many more matches in his future. Some would argue that there shouldn't be any more matches in Taker's future. I think if he would have gone out with uh, Roman at WrestleMania, that would have been the classy natural endpoint for this. Uh, yeah. But clearly Vince McMahon has different plan. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I wish we would have seen him kind of ride out in the wave of glory. Like we saw, I mean, Shawn Michaels returned to the ring last year, but kind of like something special like that, you know, but we don't get that. We get these matches instead because at the end of the day, um, money talks, man. Yes. Also a good name for a pay-per-view. Money talks, right? Probably better money than blood talks money. pay-per-view. Yeah. Yeah. So that was WWE Super Showdown live from Jeddah. We'll be back here Monday to talk about Monday Night Raw. The fallout from the WWE Super <laughs> Showdown. And of course, it's, Tuesday on SmackDown. It's weird how these shows go. Like, they're going to do this show, but it almost feels like... They, they hype it up, but also they treat it kind of like a, a house show. Like they're always looking to the next thing past this. So it's, it's really interesting. I don't yeah, know. Stomping grounds coming up in two weeks. Yeah. Mm, there you go. It is what it is, folks. Uh, Michael, where can folks find you on the interwebs? What do you want to plug before we take this home? You can always find me um, for all my most up-to-date opinions on Blood Money. That, that is on Twitter. <laughs> I'm on Twitter, at The Real Wiseman. Um, or you can find me on Instagram if you want to see pictures of my two cats, my dog, random things around my neighborhood. That is at Wiseman.ma. I am here every Tuesday for the Winkly our, our weekly show that is not on video. It is audio only with Nick Hosman. So uh, you catch that. Um, and uh, I'm actually doing the SmackDown postgame show this coming Tuesday as well. It'll be Matt Morgan will will be there with me and a special guest from outside the Wrestling Inc. family. So that'll be cool. Very cool. I'm Glenn Rubenstein. You can find me on Twitter at Glenn Rubenstein, where I live tweet along with WWE programming. I would greatly appreciate a follow. I'm closing in on 5,000 followers, and I'm just amazed, thrilled, and delighted at all the positive feedback I get from fans of this podcast. We will see you back here on Monday night. Until then, take care.